Hello, this is Mr. Sebastian and Miss Croom. We're here to talk you through uh, chapter one of A Christmas Carol. Um, we're just going to give you an overview of what we think are the key points and the key quotes um, of chapter one. Off we go. So probably the first impression we get of Scrooge as we open the novel is that he is this cold person. External heat and cold had little influence on him. No warmth could warm, no wintry weather chill him. He was also had this frosty rhyme upon his head. The cold within him froze his old features. Uh, he's described as being um, as cold as the coldest weather. Uh, he didn't know where to have him. And ultimately, he's just described as being uh, physically cold in every way. Uh, this is also the moment where he's as described as being as solitary as an oyster. The idea being that he is closed off like an oyster, like a little shellfish. Um, there is, however, a hint or a suggestion that perhaps if that oyster were to open, there might be something like a pearl, something valuable, some warmth, some wealth inside him that he could share. But at the moment, at the start, he is just as solitary as an oyster. The very first description of him is also that he is as a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone. A grindstone means workplace. Um, a tight-fisted means to hold on to your money. So a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone means someone who is uh, always pinching every penny in the workplace, making sure that he never lets any money slip through his fingers. And similar to the solitary as an oyster... He's described as, you know, he Scrooge took his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern. So we've got that repetition of melancholy. He's on his own and it's his usual way of doing things. He's used to being on his own and, you know, being sad, melancholy means. Um, last point about the, um, uh, the introduction of Scrooge is this fantastic um, example of listing that comes in at the very beginning. Squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching covetous old sinner. These words all describe and emphasise what a nasty person he is um, in the way that he holds on to every single penny. But it's also got quite aggressive words in there as well, like grasping and scraping. They sound desperate and they sound hungry and greedy, which is really, really important when thinking about the character of Scrooge. But also the listing, it's like nothing, like the reason we've got such a list and not just, oh, he was a clutching sinner, is because it's like nothing can ever be enough. You've got to have, you know, seven words in there to emphasise how... Um, how much he wants to acquire things and hold on to things absolutely that's all we're going to say we're just going through all the way through um chapter one we're going to move straight on we get to his office and uh we see a very important image which is a coal fire made of one coal that bob cratchit has to heat himself on and uh there's a candle next to bob cratchit as well bob cratchit actually realizes that it's uh, better to warm himself on the candle than it is on the one coal fire. He also looks over at Scrooge and sees that the coal um, shuttle, the, the coal um, uh, bucket, is actually in Scrooge's room and he daren't go in and talk to Scrooge to ask for more coal. So he has a one coal fire, which is very measly, and heats himself on a candle. Uh, just as we settle into this scene, three important conversations happen. First one is Fred, his nephew, who comes in. Fred is hot, uh, and I mean that in terms of he's attractive. His eyes sparkle and his face is ruddy and handsome. And this is contrast with what we've previously seen of Scrooge, this sort of shriveled old man. Uh, his breath smokes in the winter's air, uh, to, to add the idea that he is bringing a, a heated sense of passion to this. Uh, Scrooge 
is cold, Scrooge hates Christmas, Scrooge is greedy, Fred is hot, Fred loves Christmas, and Fred is very, very generous. Um, Fred uh, puts forward an argument uh, that uh, Scrooge should have a Merry Christmas. Scrooge doesn't like it, says good afternoon to him five times, uh, and then Fred eventually leaves, but not without saying he's always welcome to come and have Christmas dinner with him the next day. Spoiler alert, that may happen at the very end of the novel. Uh, Next in come the charity collectors. Charity collectors come in, they are two portly gentlemen, and they want to collect money for charity. They come in, they introduce themselves, and they ask if it's Marley or Scrooge, immediately putting their foot in it, finding it that uh, Marley has in fact been dead for seven years. Uh, And they ask Scrooge for money, and his first reaction is, are there no prisons? He thinks that people who, you know, need charity, need, you know, people who are poor and in need should just be, end up in a prison or in a workhouse. That's where they belong. Are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? Um, We actually cover this in great detail in the other podcast, which is just on this section. So we're not going to stay on this much longer. That's the most important bit. Are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? And Scrooge wishes that we could decrease the surplus population, get rid of all the idle, lazy, poor people, uh, just clear them off the face of London, and that would make a better world. And that is Scrooge in chapter one. The charity collectors leave, having collected nothing for charity. And um, we come on to the third conversation, which is Bob Cratchit, who wants a day off for Christmas the next day. Scrooge, however, is going to make him work for it. He says you should come in all the earlier the next morning, uh, but not before. He gives berates Bob Cratchit, has a go at him for a little bit about how it's a really bad, you know, really terrible for him that actually someone has to have a day off and be paid for it, that pick a man's pocket every 25th of December. So Scrooge actually feels ill-used. That's a quote from there. He feels ill-used by the situation. He's an employer. Why should he have to pay for someone to have a day off at Christmas? Remember, this is the 19th century. This is about 1843 people did not get paid holiday people did not get any kind of paid sick pay uh it is actually um you know a very small type of generosity to give someone a day off at all and so scrooge feels deeply ill-used of having to give off a day on christmas uh, even though that is a christian holiday and that is what everyone else is doing So we've had our three important conversations, Fred, Charity Collectors, and Bob Cratchit. A fog settles on a London night, which creates a nice ghostly feel as Scrooge walks through the streets of London. He arrives back at his home. Uh, Anything to say about his home? It's kind of... What can I say about his home? It's like the hide-and-seek thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's sort of like away from other people. It's certainly... There's a a phrase in which it says that it looks like it's, it's something along the lines of... It's like when it was a young house, it had been playing hide and seek and run off and, you know, hidden where it wasn't supposed to be. So a bit similar to Scrooge, hidden off and hidden away from people. Yeah, it's a very secretive, closed off house. Again, echoes of solitary as an oyster. Even the house itself is hidden off, closed off. It's in a little court. So imagine it's just tucked away almost behind another building where no one else can really see it or get to it. He gets to his door. Just as he gets to the door, the knocker famously turns into um, uh, a ghostly face of Jacob Marley. Scrooge shakes this off. He walks inside. He sees a ghostly chariot dis- uh, go up the ascend up the staircase in front of him, and this whole situation spooks him out. And he go- he lights a candle for he doesn't like to uh, um, light anything more than one candle at a time because it keeps costs down. 
Um, and he walks from room to room, checking every room, locking every door, making sure that he's nice and safe. He settles in with his melancholy dinner uh, from his melancholy tavern, sits in front of the fire, and uh, waits for night to fall and sleep to take him. The bells start ringing in his house, all the clocks, all the servant bells start ringing, and Jacob Marley appears. The most important thing about Jacob Marley is he is wearing... Chains, chains and cash boxes. What do the chains and cash boxes represent? They are the chains that he forged in life. So they sort of represent the sort of the cruelty, I guess, and the 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 way that he behaved when he was alive. So he's there to warn Scrooge, if you don't change your ways, you will end up like me. You are, you know, when we're alive, we the actions that we take are going to have an impact on what's going to happen to us after our death. Yeah, I think a lot of my students like to say it's his sins. Each link in the chain is like a different sin. And because both Marley and Scrooge were money, it's never actually fully explained what exactly they did, but they worked in finance in some way. Money lenders, maybe they were bad landlords in some way. Um, because their sins are financial sins, sins to do with money, that's why these large cash boxes are also attached to these chains. Marley delivers a very, very important message that uh, it was not good enough to just be a good man of business. Uh, Mankind was my business. He should have been focusing on charity, being good, being generous, being benevolent. That means to be a good person. And because he hasn't been a good person in life, he's been wandering the afterlife for seven years, uh, just covering a lot of ground, covered in chains and wailing, totally unable to rest. He tells Scrooge, you've got a chain as long as this one seven years ago, and it has uh, gotten even longer since. He describes it as a ponderous uh, chain. Ponderous means something you need to think about. It's, it needs to be contemplated how long this chain is. Uh, Marley then goes on to say um, he's going to help him out. He's going to help out Scrooge with a visit from three spirits. Goes to Christmas past, present, and future. Uh, these will help Scrooge learn the air of his ways and learn what he wants to do. Uh, out of interest, how does Scrooge react when he first sees Marley? Well, he's kind of he's kind of freaked out at first, but he also is then trying to pretend that it's not real. He says something like, "Isn't that quite? He, there's something more of gravy than of grave about you." He's trying to pretend to himself, "I'm not really seeing it. It's not really there." Yeah, there was a very much a Victorian belief that um, a, an upset stomach could cause hallucinations. So he says, "You could be a blob of mustard. You could be a, um, a crumb of cheese. A bit of underdone potato. There's more of gravy than of grave about you." He tries to convince himself as much as possible. This is not a real apparition. This is not a real ghostly visiting. Marley rattles his chains and wails and unlocks his jaw and really makes it clear to him, really terrifies Scrooge into understanding. He needs to take this seriously. Scrooge even cheekily asks, can I not take all these spirits at once and get it over and done with? And he's put in his place again by Marley, who leaves him saying, expect expect the first spirit at one. Marley leaves through the window. There's a really important moment. It's a little paragraph towards the end of chapter one where we see a glimpse of the afterlife. We see other spirits like Marley wailing through the afterlife, rattling their chains. And that finally convinces Scrooge this isn't a one-off vision. This is the truth. This is what lies in wait for him if he doesn't change his ways. Now, what I find really interesting about um, chapter one or stave one is a lot of people who don't know Christmas Carol well think that Scrooge doesn't actually change until the end. He actually changes very, very early on. He is very, very um, open 
to going back, talking to these spirits, finding out the area of his, his ways, pretty much from the beginning of, of stave two. And a lot of that work has been prepared by Marley there. So if you ever have to write about Scrooge's journey throughout the entire um, novella, just bear in mind that actually the moment of change happens very, very early, and then it is just repeated and sustained as we go through the entire uh, novella, until the final moment of redemption really happens when he wakes up on Christmas morning in chapter five. Uh, I think that's about it. As a whistle-stop throw through all of chapter one, we'll be uh, covering chapter two, three, four, and five. You will need to write about chapter one in almost any essay you do about um, A Christmas Carol if you're covering the entire text, because every single essay you need to write needs to cover uh, a character's journey or a thematic journey from the beginning to the end of the text. So you're always going to need to cover chapter one in detail. So we hope we've done it justice here. Thank you very much. This is Mr. Sebastian. I'm Miss Green. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Twelve. Is this okay? I'm feeling a bit silly.